Welcome to the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast, a work of the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. We invite you to open your Bibles and follow along with us as we study God's Word together. Hello, everyone. I'm Cody Westbrook, and you're listening to another episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast, a work of the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. Today, we are continuing our study of the book of 1 John, and it is a book that is very much about confidence, faith, and assurance. We live in a world, we live a life where there are many things that are unsure. We have no ability to predict the future. We have no ability to know what is going to happen even today. But what the Bible does tell us is that as children of God, God wants us to be confident and God wants us to be sure about our relationship with him. Now we turn our attention in 1 John to 1 John chapter 2 verse 12 through 17. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 7 through 11, our last episode, John began talking about the right kind of love. He described it as a new commandment and that new commandment, of course, is to love one another as Christ has loved us. It is a true sacrificial kind of love that puts the best interest of its object at the forefront. But in this context, 1 John 2, verse 12 through 17, John will deal with the wrong kind of love. Do not love the world, John will say, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. But before he gets to that point, we have a, a pause in the argument, if you will, basically for John to issue a reminder. We have some interesting verses, verse 12, verse 13, and verse 14, where John addresses the church. He addresses the readers of this epistle, and he describes them in different ways. He describes them as children. He describes them as fathers, and he describes them as young men. Let's read these passages together, and then we'll notice the application. John says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, we're not going to take the time in our episode to break down all of the specific things that John says in these verses, but I do want us to notice just a couple of things by way of a general overview. First of all, the reason why John addresses the readers as little children and young men and fathers is because he is addressing the church and all of its members at every stage of development. You see, spiritually speaking, we are all children because we're the children of God, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. But it's also true that we're all at different levels, uh, pertain, uh, different levels of spiritual maturity. Some are new Christians. They are quite literally little children, or 1 Peter 2 and Hebrews chapter 5, they're babies in Christ. But some are old 
and elderly. They've been members of the church, Christians, for many, many years. And so in terms of spiritual maturity, they are well advanced in age. So Timothy, or Paul rather, is, excuse me, John is dealing with Christians at every level of spiritual maturity. And there are at least two applications that I think can come to mind noticing a section like this. Number one, this is just another reminder that every person in the church, regardless of how long they've been a Christian, everyone is valuable and has a role to play. Of course, the most well-known section of Scripture that brings out this point would be 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul describes the church as a body, and he talks about all of the different body parts and how all the parts have a role to play for the overall benefit and functioning of the whole. The application is so plain and so easy to see. Every member of the church, every part of the body, however great or small, has a job to do and has a role to play. They can contribute something. And if even one part of the body is missing or is not functioning properly, then that hinders the overall health and activity of the body. So that's one thing to be gleaned from this. But here's a second, and that is that truth is applicable to all. And, you know, no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how spiritually mature we may be, we still need to be reminded of things. What has John talked about so far in this book? Well, he's talked about the need to walk in the light, the need to acknowledge and confess our sin when we commit it. He's talked about the need to love the brethren, and in just a moment, he'll talk about the importance of not loving the world. These are things that every child of God needs to hear and think about, meditate upon on a regular basis. No matter how long we've been a Christian, these things are still applicable. So the right kind of love, 1 John chapter 2, verses 7-11, through 11, the wrong kind of love, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. But first, a reminder, a reminder that John is writing this book to every Christian, regardless of where they happen to be in terms of spiritual maturity, and a reminder that every Christian has a role to play and that the truth of God's Word is applicable to all. Now, Let's turn our attention to verse 15, 16, and 17 and look closely at this command to avoid the wrong kind of love. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lusts of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Notice that there is a command here. It's at the beginning of verse 15, and it's simply stated, do not love the world or the things in the world. And to be more specific, the grammar of this is literally stop loving the world. It is a present imperative. It's an ongoing sort of command. There is never a time in which Christians should have affection for the things of the world. Now, This is a very easy command to state and talk about, but a very difficult command to apply. In 1 John 5, 19, John will say, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 
In John chapter 12 and verse number 31, Jesus discusses the nature of the world and the nature of the relationship that Christians should have with the world. Listen to what he says. As he describes the world and its ruler, he says, Now this is the judgment of the, this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Why is it so important that we do not love the world? Well, because this world is not our home, as we often sing. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We're only pilgrims. We're strangers here in this world, and heaven is our home, according to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. When John says, stop loving the world, he's, he says literally, stop being in love with the devil's domain. That's what John 12, 31 is all about. The ruler of this world, that's the devil. The devil is the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter five, excuse me, 4 and verse 4, Paul will describe Satan as the god of this world. And in John chapter 15 and verse number 18, Jesus will describe how the world views Christians. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I am reminded of Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, where Paul, in discussing the contrast between flesh and spirit, says that the flesh and the spirit are always at war with one another. There will never be a time where there's a truce or a ceasefire or an armistice or any sort of agreement uh, to end hostilities between the world and between Christ and between Christians. Look, we are the children of God. We are not of this world, and the world hates us. So why would we have love? Why would we have attraction? Why would we have affection for that which hates us, which is opposite to us? That's really the question that needs to be contemplated. I want you to think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, Lay not up for yourself treasure on earth, where moth and rust can corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust can corrupt, where thieves cannot break through and steal. Listen to this. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, the problem as we struggle through this life, especially for those who are privileged to live in the United States of America, is that we live in a very wealthy and very materialistic culture and society. We have so many things in this life, so many things, so many nice things. And the problem is that it's very easy for us to grow attached to them. It's very easy for us to grow so accustomed to the luxuries and the niceties of life that soon we begin to have difficulty imagining life without them. Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 that you have to be very careful and guard your heart against this kind of thing. We can't be the kind of people who are described in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Paul says in that passage. And the idea is the love of material things, the love of the world, and it's the pursuit of the world. And the reason why 
people often pursue the things of the world is because that's where our heart is. But Paul said, if you're then risen with Christ, set your affection, your heart, your love, your desire on things of heaven and not on things of the earth. Colossians 3 verse 1. The command to not love the world, to not set our affection on the world, is easier said than done because we live in this world and we enjoy the things of this world, but we have to be so careful not to allow the things of this world to take control over us. Remember that this is Satan's domain. This is not our home. This is not where we belong. We are strangers, pilgrims, and sojourners in this world, and so therefore we cannot fall in love with this temporary place. But now go back to 1 John chapter 5 and notice that Paul will or excuse me John will now give us two reasons. The command is don't love the world or anything in it. Now, here are the two reasons. Reason number 1 because it's not of the Father. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not of the Father but of the world. Notice that we're talking about basically two realms here of ownership. One, there's that which belongs to the world, and two, there's that which belongs to the Father. Well, which category, into which category do Christians fall? Ephesians 5.1 tells us that because we are children of God, we need to bear the family resemblance. Maybe you've been told at one time or another, you look just like your mom or you look just like your dad. I can see your dad in you. The way you talk and the way you walk, your mannerisms are just like him. People would tell me all the time when I was growing up, you're a spitting image of your dad. Well, as it pertains to ourselves spiritually and our relationship with our Heavenly Father, the Bible says we've got to be the spitting images of our Father. When people look at us, they need to see God. Well, why is that? Well, it's because we are of God. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19. So John says all of the things that are in this world are completely against, they're completely contrary to everything that God is and everything that he stands for. Then he describes it in different categories. He says, first, there's the lust of the flesh. That's those passions of the flesh or fleshly, fleshly interest. Then he describes the lust of the eyes. You might think of it in terms of intellectual gratification. Someone has said that eyes are the window to the soul or the window to the heart, and maybe that's true. Do you remember of Achan in Joshua 7.21? Achan spoke of, as he was confronted for his sin and taking of the accursed thing, he said, I saw them, these things, and then I coveted them. I had to have them. He wouldn't have had a strong desire to have them if he hadn't fixed his eyes upon them and allowed, his, and allowed himself to be allured to them. There is a connection between the eyes and the heart. Then there's the pride of life, this desire for self-exaltation, the desire to be made to feel important, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of these things, John says, they don't belong to God. They are not of God, and so we can have no attachment to them. James put it this way in James 4, verse 4. He said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Imagine being at odds with your heavenly Father. You're his child. You bear his name. You are to look and walk and talk just like him, 
and yet you've associated yourself with all of those things that are completely contrary to him, all of those things which he hates. Those two things simply cannot go together. Why should we stop loving the world? Because the world is not of the Father. These things do not pertain to God. But then reason number two, he says it's not going to last. Look at verse 17. The world is passing away and the lusts of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. We have a problem in this world of being too nearsighted. What I mean by that is we don't look at things from an eternal perspective. We look at things from a short-sighted perspective. We're interested in what's going to happen tomorrow or the day after or the month or year after that as opposed to seeing things from an eternal point of view. When we look at things from a near point of view, then we look at the world in, from the wrong perspective. When we look at things from an eternal point of view, then we begin to see things exactly how they are. Asaph learned this lesson, for example, in Psalm 73. He struggled with, the, uh, with, with wicked people. Why is it, he says, that good things seem to always be happening to bad people and bad things seem to always be happening to good people? It really challenged him. He struggled with it. He says, until he went into the sanctuary and then he realized their end. In other words, he became far-sighted. He began to see things from an eternal perspective, understanding that all accounts are not settled in this life. And though a wicked person may live for 70, 80, 90, even 100 or more years and may do all sorts of evil and seem as if he's going to get away with it, that's not the case because our lives here in this world are but a speck. They are here today and gone tomorrow, you remember. James chapter 4 talks about our life. It's even as a vapor. No matter how long it may seem, it's nothing in comparison with eternity. Well, in 2 Peter chapter 3, I want you to listen to what Peter says. He says, beginning in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with a fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I want you to look at the language that Peter uses. In 2 Peter 3.10, he describes the heavens passing away. And that term, pass away, means literally to come to an end, to no longer be there, literally to disappear. He then says the earth and the works that are therein are going to be burned up. And uh, they're going to be, verse number 11, they're going to be dissolved the word dissolved means to reduce by, by, by violence into its component parts or to destroy. And the idea, of being, the idea of being burned up is to be laid bare for judicial sentence. It's going to be destroyed. So what is Peter telling us? Peter's telling us that this world, this globe on which we live, and all of these physical things here, the physical elements that we see, the ground and the trees and the grass and the sky and all the animals, but also those things that man has created, material things, 
for example, that one day all of those things are going to be burned up. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to cease to exist. So he then gives an exhortation in verse number 11 and 12. Since that is the case, how ought we to live? Well, we ought to live, again, with eternity in view. We ought to have an eternal vision We ought not to look at the things in this world as if they're going to last forever and they are the end-all, be-all of existence. No, that's not the case at all. They are perishing even as we speak. Material things, the second law of thermodynamics, they all break down a little bit over time. But we, as children of God, we're looking for, 2 Peter 3.13, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's simply just a way of stating a new existence. It's talking about heaven. It's talking about the the time in which this earth, having been destroyed, will go away, and we as the children of God will be able to go and be at home with our Father in His house. John chapter 14, verses 1 and following. Now, think about all of that in terms of what John has told us in 1 John chapter 4, or excuse me, 2 and verse number 17. The world is passing away and the lusts of it. Peter said it's all going to be burned up, but he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, this is why the Hebrews writer would say in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 and 14, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, listen to this, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And if truly they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. You see, as children of God, as strangers and pilgrims and sojourners here in this world, we recognize again that this world is not our home, that we have a heavenly city awaiting us. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, John chapter 14. And the Bible tells us that someday this earth and all that is in it is going to be destroyed, and we're going to be able to go and be with our Father in heaven. That is a wonderful thing, a wonderful homecoming, Philippians 3.21 for which we ought to long. But it is impossible for us to truly long for home if we feel like we already are at home. Love not the world, neither the things in the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Love not this world because we don't belong here. Long for home, our heavenly home. Love and have affection for the things of heaven because that's really, that's really, uh, that's really where we ought to long to be. Well, that's the end of our time today, the end of our episode. As always, we're so thankful for you taking the time to listen and to study God's Word with us. We hope that you will visit our website, www.swcfc.org. We hope that you'll take an opportunity to come and visit with us if you find yourself in the Austin area. And again, please tell your friends and family members about our podcast and about the work that's done at the Southwest Church of Christ and also the Southwest School of Bible Studies. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to studying God's Word together again on the next episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. 
please visit our website at swcofc.org for more information about the Southwest Church of Christ. And if you're in the Austin area, please come and visit with us. Thank you for listening, and please join us again as we open up our Bibles and study more of the wonderful Word of Life.